Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to series two of Coaches on the Couch. I'm Louise. And I'm Rachel. And we decided we needed to do a second series of Coaches on the Couch. First of all, because the first one has been quite well received, for which we're very grateful, everybody that listens. And secondly, because there are still lots of interesting people that we haven't had an opportunity to speak to. We're really delighted to have as our first guest on this second series, Joe Morris of Morrison Company an architectural studio born, as their website says, in 2018 as an evolution of Doug and Morris Architects. Morning, Joe. How are you? Thanks for coming Morning, on. Joe. Morning, Joe. Looking good there in that self-contained, wonderfully constructed Zoom pod that you have this going is on the, there. This is, this is a um, B&Q plywood. So if you think this is kind of expensive, this is the cheapest chips you can use to build something. Okay, obviously with all of our guests, we start off with the most important question in everybody's life. Please tell us a little bit about your couch. I was thinking about this question last night. I was trying to work out how to basically kind of turn the question upside down and be really clever. <laughs> uh, and in the end, it yeah. was too difficult. So uh, I, I'm going to tell you directly about the couch. So the couch is about, it's a 15 year old couch. Uh, it's not actually mine. It's Ellie's. And she bought this about sort of 15, maybe 16 years ago. And uh, before we met, she had a, a, a number of properties that she she let out, not as a kind of big landlord, but because she, she had a building in Brixton. And what she did, she would therefore let the building out and then she would live in other parts of the city to experience different parts of the city, knowing that she had this property that could accrue uh, some value over time. And so what ended up happening is the sofa stayed in the flat in Brixton and the sofa now has its own story that we obviously will never know because obviously sofas can't speak or couches can't speak. So there's a sort of there's this hidden narrative in this sofa of sort of, or couch of sort of 15 years worth of people sitting on it, uh, some of which we might know, friends that we've never met. Um, and it's now the kind of place where I guess Ellie and I come back to each night. It's the, it's the kind of our social glue in a very, very small, pokey building in Happy mm -hmm. Road. And it's a sort of grand kind of, you know, three seat, you probably get four or five people on it. And we, we reflect on the day that's passed and then, you know, we talk about what's going to happen uh, in uh, in the sort of days to come as well. Well, it's given me a warm and fuzzy yeah. feeling. I like go. the idea. Of, <laughs> yeah. um, I like the idea of reflective ca a, a reflective couch yeah. that maybe yeah. does some reflecting yeah. with you. <laughs> <laughs> well and the phrase the phrase social glue yeah that's it that. yeah okay so quick formal introduction although i'm sure you're well known to most of our audience um you trained at the bartlett you've been in professional practice for 20 years including the early days at ahmm 14 years at the practice that you co-founded doug and morris until morrison company came into being in 2018 and so many amazing projects, Joe. I mean, the one that always springs to mind when I'm thinking about the practice is the pink-hued office building at King's Cross, the gas holder building. You know, what's current? If you were to highlight um, a few maybe of the current schemes that you're working on at the moment, which would you highlight as in particularly important to you? I mean, yeah, it's a difficult one. We, we um, I, I, I'm sort of going to answer it in a slightly different way rather than it's the three projects. It's just kind of the general sense of, of, oh. of what kind of practice looks like and then what that looks like in terms of projects. But it's been, I think it's the same for everyone. Um, well, I hope it is anyway, because if it's not, then I'm doing something incredibly wrong, which is it's this kind of continuous, kind of hard, relentless, debilitating, fatiguing, uh, profession to work in. There, there's very little day-to-day -day, um, euphoria. It's sort of, it's a constant process of attrition. 
and uh, more so now than I think it's ever been really and it's um the reason why we stick with it is because I think you know we, we're obviously seeking to um be engaged with things which affect all of us so this idea of kind of a social cultural economic environmental um positive impacts one can make on the environment around us that's why we're sort of in there somewhere so it's not a it's not a practice or it's not a profession one goes in just to earn money because there isn't much really and everybody's sort of desperate for that it's one way you you creatively add positively to other people's lives and that and that in some ways is across kind of all sorts of different projects and often it's not really about the end result you know often it's not about the fact that you've built something I think more important is about the journey from getting from the moment where you've opened, someone opens the door and you're standing there and you're talking about the potential for a project and the time it takes and the people that engage with that process up to the point where you hand the key over and beyond. That's the thing which I'm, I find the most exciting. And, you know, as I'm talking now, I often talk about when I'm talking, my hairs stand up and they're doing it now when I just genuinely think about all those sorts of stories and all of the, energy the heartache the excitement the the time that people put in and more so the fact that most of the effort that goes in isn't really talked about so for example you're here talking to me but i'm absolutely nothing without not only the team that works for me not only without ellie and you know my previous relationships and previous professional um, relationships the practice itself consultants and clients, you know, it isn't me, it's a kind of me part of this kind of big cog. So when I think about the projects that are on the board, which are exciting to me now, in some ways all of them are, because all of them are part of this sort of, you know, the, none of them are kind of the high, high profile stuff that gets people's appetites, you know, whets people's appetites because it's got certain material, or certain look. Our projects are all about people programming or kind of, you know, this sort of um, the idea of serendipity and encounter and people and stories and narratives are kind of what the buildings are about and therefore everything constantly is this is this thing so yeah we're doing offices we're doing schools we're doing housing we're doing small houses large houses uh, we've got stuff on site got health centers um, we've got small community infrastructure we're working for the likes of goldsmiths Ballymore, you know, it's like, you know, down here we've got a little goldsmiths thing, which is the uh, new enterprise hub in New Cross. And then, you know, up here we're doing 50 story residential towns of Ballymore in Canary Wharf. And it's like anywhere between those two things on my screen is what we're involved with. And every single one of those is massively heartfelt and massively important. Yeah, it's, that's really interesting. And, and I think what came across in what you've just said is something that it comes across when looking at your bio on your website, which is, and, and of course we know, and people listening will know that you're really active outside of the actual work that you do yeah. as Morrison Company, yeah. whether that's lecturing at home and abroad or sitting on design review panels or speaking up from whatever platform you can find on a range of issues from quality architecture to inclusivity and, and diversity. And of course, veganism of which you're a passionate advocate. And I've heard you, or I saw you described somewhere as being a catalyst for progress. And I thought that's probably something that you'd be happy to own. So, sorry, someone said that I was a catalyst for progress. Yeah. That's amazing. I don't think I heard that. That's going to go on my bio. I'd <laughs> 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 love to know you said that. struck I, me because, yeah. it, because it seemed to reflect, um, because of that outspokenness. And 
one of the things that we thought we'd touch on today was the, the importance of meaning and purpose and values, which <laughs> yeah. I think are really, really, you know, that they're really strong and they're clearly very important at Morris and Co. And um, I guess that that encompasses so much more than what you actually do on the day to day. It is that it is those wider platforms that you are part of and not just you, but other, other people in the practice. Yeah, yeah sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I'd say a funny thing, really, it's, um, and it's a really difficult one for me to kind of array because it, it's, it, it's so nebulous. Once we went vegan, suddenly it's sort of veganism is a sort of very easy thing to think about. It just means that you stop eating meat. And then you realise actually it's not about stop eating meat. It's actually it's about stepping as far away from any exploitation of any other being that you possibly can. And that's generally animals. And then once you're in that mindset, it's like taking the blue pill or whatever or you know, being uncoupled from the matrix, it, Keanu Reeves in, um, uh, in, in, in the matrix, where you generally start to see everything in a completely different way. So the idea- architecture. Everything, you know, architecture, everything. everything. Like the, the whole way that you walk, talk, breathe, look, read, think, engage, communicate, changes, because in the back of your mind, there's this feeling that something isn't quite right. So for example, you know, really simple, you walk in a supermarket, uh, if you're not vegan, you don't really flinch at what's in the aisles. You don't actually understand what's in most of the products. Most of it has got some sort of animal product in there somewhere. As soon as you go vegan, then you kind of actually, the, 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 a supermarket is pointless to you anymore. And you can't, you don't visit that. And actually supermarkets are also social spaces and they're on the high street. So actually the way that you read the high street changes, et cetera, et cetera. You know, my, my daughter also has... Um, she has a condition, a kind of lung condition. She's got cystic fibrosis. And, and so, you know, I'm a, I'm a strong advocate for cycling uh, and walking and uh, being fit. And, you know, the amount of vitriol you can see on things like Twitter and Facebook, where you have two camps, which is I'm either a cyclist or I drive a car. And if you're on the other camp, I hate you with real passion. And yet we all know that cars are essential, but at the same time, they destroy spaces. You know, they, they bring noise, they kill people, they kill more people on the roads than other vehicles, cars and vehicles and lorries and so forth. And they pollute and pollution is a massive problem. And if you've got a school near a main road and people are driving cars unnecessarily, should you not say something about it? And mm. I think you should. Mm. And it's really interesting that connection to place and that, how that thread of making a decision to become vegan suddenly seeing it absolutely everywhere and then the thread that carries through to your um, design ethos and and practice as you said the connection to supermarkets don't mean the same which has consequences for the yeah. high street yeah. moving away from car ownership has consequences for the design of public realm and highways and, and the juxtaposition of buildings i hadn't really thought of it that way before joe so i think that's really interesting and how does that how does that go through the practice? I mean, how, you know, you've got 50 people working yeah. for you. How do you build that cohesion of approach and belief amongst yeah. those 50 people? Or do you not? Do you just let them have their own? Yeah, I could be really author authoritarian, um, but I'm not. And, I, you know, hopefully this will come across as the, you know, I'm, I'm very much a, and I think this is the difference. I would like to talk about the difference between what we were as Doug and Morris and what we are as Morrison Company. Just, just very briefly, the sort of, you know, how we were before, which is brilliant, uh, was a, you know, highly successful, you know, one of a leading group of young emerging practices. Um, 
and renowned for and known for producing beautiful work. Um, but I think Mary and I increasingly were, um, uh, there was a sort of creative stress and tension which gradually got wider and wider. And not to say that any one camp is better than the other, it's just a difference of kind of approach. And um, I think my, my overarching sense, pervading sense of responsibility was to people. As I keep saying, I keep, I keep saying this over and over again, it's about not being singularly in control and singularly responsible and singularly um, constraining for others, but do it the opposite way around and actually almost dis dismantle the usual kind of hierarchical structure flatten everything create an create an atmosphere whereby best idea wins rather than an ego you know everyone's voice is valid everybody has credence and merits and experience and how do you kind of create a culture where all that kind of sits in a space so our work is likely to take a different it will look different over time because we're less fixated by the idea of buildings of sculpture now it's about buildings as programs for people. Now it's about buildings as kind of um, uh, uh, sort of vestibules and, 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 and vessels for, for again, serendipity and all the kind of usual sort of social interactions. Um, and, you know, stroking a piece of marble is just the least important thing to me at the moment. It's sort of other stuff. There was a really nice phrase in there, Joe, about creating an environment where the best idea wins. I'm just wondering how you do that. You know, how do you create that atmosphere in the studio, particularly when your presence is so strong? So basically, the, the big thing here is that we, you, you almost have to, I say it a lot, and I, hope, and I often think, maybe I don't need to say it, but I do say it a lot, you know, there's, there is no intimidation in Morrison Company. No one should feel intimidated. No one should feel like there's something wrong. No one should feel that anyone's going to be held singularly responsible for any decision, right or wrong. So don't hide behind it. Don't kind of conceal errors. Don't feel like it's your error. The practice creates the, the, the environment within which for people to work. So it's our responsibility as sort of as the kind of leaders of the practice to create the right environment to allow people to do the thing which they're interested in doing. And if they get that wrong, then it's kind of my responsibility, not theirs. So I sort of basically everything sort of stops. All the bad stuff, I kind of try and soak it in, uh, which basically mm -hmm. liberates people to basically explore, hopefully with a bit more abandon, different ideas. Um, and um, what's interesting is on a, on a personal level is that I've gone from being a person 20 or so years ago where I was in and underneath every single detail, everything, drawing it, thinking it, only one way is best, so I've got to do it myself. And Mary was very much similar to that. To now being in a, another blend of saying, so I kind of do almost nothing other than to talk and coach and mentor and to direct. And it's like, I'm now the kind of person that sits in the background and say, well, that thing you've just done there, that's really cool. Maybe we do it like this and there's another one over here. And oh, by the way, that team's looking at this thing. Maybe talk to Rob and you talk to Anna Lee and da 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 da. And suddenly all these things start to overlap. And so my, my, my thing now is just about making sure that you're kind of conducting the strings and just, it's the orchestra, which is the thing which people are interested in listening to. And the con conductor's sort of in the background, mm -hmm. just making sure that the best, the best set of kind of notes comes out of that. And so, you know, that's why getting people in a room, whether it's digitally or physically, it's about getting all of those ideas on the table. And for us to have a really, you know, collaborative, open, accessible and fair process of just going through everything 
um, and trying to find you know where the ideas coalesce into the kind of the right the right sort of strands of thought. It's really interesting that process and I've just wondered how that worked and how that started because obviously it's an evolution of kind of letting go if yeah. you like from yeah. um, having to have control and be involved in every little detail to because it doesn't have it's not something you, you didn't just wake up one morning no. or I need no. to let go of some of the some of this uh, some of this work or I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna kind of die of overwork or people work. aren't gonna flourish so it has to evolve over a period of time doesn't it and I wondered yeah. how that well I've been, I've been you know cards on the table I've been feeling really odd this last few weeks um again when you, you it's up to you whether or not you put this in or not but I thought it's quite nice to talk to people about stuff a bit of therapy um but I've been feeling really kind of out outside of my skull for two three four weeks i can't quite put a date on it or, or a number on it and i've been feeling strange senses of vertigo and sort of falling and i think you know i just thought you know i've got an inner ear infection so that's the problem and you know i've had a few tests and it turns out that that i haven't got an inner, inner ear infection but actually what i may be suffering is extreme anxiety and stress um which i've never really had an experience physical you know first-hand experience of but i've always felt like the person that um as you know it's like my 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 um my what status my kind of you know my demeanor is generally sort of like this actually what i think is happening is a lot of this and i don't really i'm not really aware of it and um you know we, i talk to elia quite a lot about it at the moment about the fact that i do have mood swings and i wasn't really aware of it a lot before and so i reached out to the team <laughs> In the last week or so and I said look I'm, I just need to get away I need to leave you for you know even if it's just for a few days well I haven't had a break since last August so it's a year and a half worth of this six months of Covid and I, actually also where I'm sitting now it's this um Ellie and I just put together this new uh, sort of vegan restaurant cafe thing on Hackney Road and we're building we've been living in the building site and building it at weekends and I'm also working on a Sunday kind of helping sort of serve customers so it's like no break and also tackling and you know looking after uh, my daughter and sharing that responsibility with the best that I can. So it's just felt like it's just, just a lot going on. And I sort of reached out to the team and said, look, I think I just need to sort of step away for a bit. And one of the directors, Keir, offered, you know, he's, he's also one of the, he's a very strong sort of family chap, reached out and said, you know, Joe, you've built up such a strong team and such a strong support structure that this is, you shouldn't worry about that. Um, and I think that's the thing that I, I guess I'm, you know, in response to your question, it's, it's, it's just how it's been built up over time and how the support structure and the network and the people and the understanding has been effectively kind of built into every single person has made it easier for me to kind of do this sort of step back because I know that everybody gets it. Thanks so much for sharing that, Joe. It's rare for people, I guess, to be so open with their mental health like that. And so good to hear that the team's so empowered uh, with the values so firmly instilled that they and you feel confident. Imagine being, you know, part of, I'm not talking necessarily about architecture or, or, or any consultants in the built environment, but imagine being part of a company at this time in our shared lives, history, where there can't be that kind of openness about yeah. mental health and yeah. when people yeah. are struggling. Yeah. Uh, it must be so difficult to be in an environment where you would feel as though you were somehow being weak if you yeah. acknowledged the fact that you yeah. were experiencing some kind of mental distress. 
we probably need to ask you about your views on what's going to emerge from the current crisis, what is emerging from this shared experience that we're all going through, not just for you, but for, you know, what do you see emerging yeah. also for you? Yeah, I mean, we, um, we've been doing a fair bit of work on, in the background, um, I wouldn't call it research, but it's certainly reflective, where we're looking about looking at how, you know, the home. Up, up until now, I think it, maybe maybe you see it the same way as me. But you know, when people talk of home, it's sort of it's a silo. It's about homes, and you know, access to streets and kind of green space. It's over here, and over here, it's like you know, how do we, how what what are the kind of modes of working in offices? But actually, you realise that the two are the same diagrams so the same problem you know particularly with with issues of uh, permitted development rights and sort of zoning uh, planning law um, and all those sorts of issues and the and potentially this sort of growing need to be um, aware of the, the positive impact that kind of retrofit first has on lowering the kind of carbon um, issues that kind of developing kind of cities have so it's sort of the overlap is I think what's going to happen, and it's about that sort of the, those, the tangible interfaces and overlaps between work and living, and where you work and where you live, and how buildings are reused over time, better and better and better, with um, technologies gradually inbuilt and creating flexibility and durability to enable people to have a more um, uh, responsible but also self-curated pattern of life you know because at the moment it feels to me that actually what we're all doing we, whether or not we really un, uh, um, acknowledge it is that we're, we're part of a sort of factory system of clock in and clock out um, pre-covid whereby the only way that your time is valued is by your presence rather than the output generally so you know if you're at your seat then you'll seem to be working and when you go for lunch people are aware of your absence and when you clock off at six oh that's that person's gone away early again but when you remove all of that and you do the work process from your own living room, the visibility is gone. So actually now you're in a different place where it's just a sort of trust, place of trust. And actually it's about the output again. It doesn't matter when you do it. It doesn't matter how long it takes you. All that we're interested in at this moment is, you know, does the, have you enjoyed the experience? Is the work good? And are we achieving the deadlines that are set by the clients? You know, and then how we get there is constructed around individual teams and their own working methodologies so somehow the f it feels like the future we're in the future because without covid and this is a i think this is the very positive part of it without covid uh i don't think we'd be here i heard um, on one of your other podcasts i was listening beforehand if i can name name drop ross from uh, hutchinson apartment yeah. Yeah, and a personal friend and you know we've collaborated in previous practice uh when we worked at hmn he talked about this as well about uh, the sort of the the the, um, the the difference um, that flexible working has, and the kind of perhaps the cynicism or the kind of resistance he had to whether or not it works. And now you realise that you know all of those fears were kind of um, un, unfounded, and actually you can effectively reinvent practice literally on the flip of a coin overnight. Mm. You can sort of say we did that that day and we're now doing it this day and we'll keep doing this for as long as it takes and actually we may never go back to what it was before and why would we and suddenly we've got this is great because now we've got we're forced into this experiment and we're living the kind of this social experiment i've talked a lot about it i did an architecture foundation 
part of the 100 Day Studio, and I talked about this, you know, the fact that we are part mm. of this social experiment, the biggest global social experiment ever conducted in real life, real time, with actual accountability daily. Um, and I think that's, that's, for me, really, really exciting. I think we're coming to the end of our time with you, Joe. That's such an okay. interesting conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure indeed. Well, good to see you both. Yeah, really good to see you.